Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. Mate. Sound like you're about to call the cricket there, mate. And uh, welcome to episode 97 of the uh, Nerd Culture Podcast. Oh, look, this, this is going to be a very exciting podcast. I think it'll be very special. There's just some wonderful podcast information out there today. I'm uh, very excited. Happy to be here with my broadcast colleagues. Oh, and uh, they're all coming out to the pitch now. Oh, uh, we've got uh, Mad Dan, da- Mad Dan, Dave walking out now. His head in shame. Oh, Mad look, uh, he's he's had some some difficulties recently, uh, especially with the the key test. That's right, and the uh, the 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 the, uh, the the drug scandals that have plagued his career in recent times. Um, we're not quite sure how well he'll perform on this podcast today, but uh, look, look, we're excited. We're hoping that uh, it'll be a return to form for him. He's been a little bit lackluster in recent times, so hopefully we'll see uh, we'll see something exciting from uh, from young David today. Followed as he follow as he is always by the uh, the person who's come to him as the shimmerer, the the shimmering Sheila. Some people kind of say, but we <laughs> but we don't want to say that just in case we get uh, violently attacked. Look, that, that kind of thing can happen. It's a, it's a funny old game, this podcasting. And uh, But, uh, look, uh, you are, of course, referring to Crystal, and I've got to say, she's an exciting podcaster to watch here today. Um, look, her uh, her performances in recent times have just been stellar. I think uh, she's, she's you know, we, we saw her back early in her career, and uh, we thought, you know, she was an, an up-and-comer, and uh, really she's just developed brilliantly over these past few podcasts. Um, and, you know, with the move towards... Uh, uh, the 100th podcast, I think she'll really shine. Yes, but the, guy, the, the thing today that you've got to remember here is uh, can she actually hold it together and keep the team going forward? Well, look, uh, if you were to look at this introduction that we're doing to this podcast today, you would say that probably it's already too late for her because, really, it's completely out of control right now. And and I, I don't know where they're going. And, really, you've got to wonder what the listeners are thinking right now. And so we haven't even introduced the other two members of the podcast yet. And, oh, here he comes yet. His head hanging, actually dragging on the floor, and the groundskeepers are hanging their heads in shame and jumping up and down because the size of his great metal head. Look, I've got to, I've, I've, I've got to disagree with my broadcast colleague here. I think Ian Head Richardson is. Uh, look, I think he's probably the uh, the A plus player on this team. He's the real standout to me. I think his work on this podcast is absolutely fantastic, and he is a future podcast hall of famer in my mind. Okay, yes, and as you say that oh yes look his head is actually expanding as we speak those words listeners if you look at it the diameter of the head is actually exponentially growing (laughs) to the point where yes it is starting to go into orbit oh look and finally last and most certainly least uh (laughs) here comes luke barely walking walker (laughs) I mean, that's, he might as the, well he might as well have crawled out of that uh, out of the, the the club rooms here because uh, really his slow meandering play has uh, well I've got to say he's a man that had a lot of promise early in his career but he really just has not been able to to reach those heights of uh, really the early podcast right now uh, look this game's ready to begin and uh, we're being joined in the broadcast box by our colleague. David. Awesome. So as you would have gotten from that intro, uh, I am indeed David, and I'm here with my crew, Richo, Luke, and Crystal. This is indeed episode 97, and for this episode we'll have reviews, uh, assorted reviews, movies, I can see, just looking around the table, we've got movies, album, comic, very exciting. 
uh, and our top five British comedy series, as suggested by Crystal. She's a big fan of those things. And in honour of... Uh, yes, yeah, so in, in honour of, uh, of Rick Mail's passing. The great Rick Mail. The great Rick Mail. We thought we'd look at some, some classic... Hello, Rick. <laughs> British comedy. <laughs> Woof! <laughs> he will be missed. But first up, we'll be discussing some news. Our first news item is Harrison Ford has broken his leg on the set of Star Wars Episode 7. It was originally reported as his foot or his ankle, but it is, in fact, his entire leg. And uh, he's out for six weeks. So that's stuff that's shooting up a bit, but uh, it did lead to some very interesting, uh, funny memes. Oh, <laughs> Rumoured to be broken on the door of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> okay, it's stuff that's shooting up for six weeks. No matter what happens, no matter when this film gets released, it is going to make a truckload of money. Yeah, it's just, I'm just, just talking about all the inconvenience of the having to shoot a shoot, or shoot around him now but no, but they, yeah. they plan they plan right. for, they plan for they plan for this well they plan uh, in, for, they plan in, for injuries, in classic so. Han Solo style they <laughs> shot his scenes first are yeah. you, are you, are you <laughs> they plan for it are you saying that they broke his leg on purpose who knows it's a, it's a, it is Abrams it was just one more piece of Star Wars news uh, hit it Richard breaking news <laughs> um, Ryan Johnson the uh, writer and director of Looper and more importantly the awesome brick has been announced as the director of episode 8 um, and is actually uh, writing the script for 8 and for 9 as well, um, which I find kind of interesting. Like I think that's made, exciting. Yeah, it's, they've made this big sort of deal of Abrams being the one involved in, in making these movies. and um, He'll still have a voice in 8 and 9. I'm sure he will, but um, I'm just glad they've chosen a much better director um, to actually direct... Eight and nine, and I think um, you know, given the nature of Ryan Johnson's previous films, it it could actually result in a very different sort of take on things. Hmm. You know, Abram Abram's very much big and glossy and lens flary. Um, yeah, whereas um, you know Ryan Johnson's directorial style and his writing style um, is sort of a lot more, I think, a lot more personal and a lot more sort of character driven. And yeah, so I think it's it's interesting that um, this change has actually occurred at this point. Um, I mean, I would have thought when, when they announced Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, I just assumed that they'd be involved in all three. Yeah, um, directly. Well, but, yeah. Yeah. like I said, they'll still, still be involved, but you know, obviously, they've got something mm. else to help, which is which is pretty cool. But yeah, I'm actually I'm excited about this. Whereas I wasn't really excited about the announcement of Abrams. So yeah. And to be honest with you, I think that's actually much more important than Harrison Ford's broken leg. Sorry, Crystal. No. <laughs> poor, poor Harrison. Yeah. Uh, but that brings us to, our, to our, just our last last piece of news, which I actually think is the most important out of all of them, to be honest with you, is that uh, Bob Kane is receiving a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Puh. And, uh, you know, Bob Kane's contributed to comics, so, you know, therefore he deserves the, the respect for that. But the fact that he's getting one and, and Bill Finger is not... It's quite disappointing. I'm surprised they didn't put Bill Finger's uh, star on the Hollywood Hall of Walk of Fame and then Bob Kane just come and take all the credit for it. <laughs> this is what really annoys me about the whole Bob Kane thing. Um, it's been really, it's actually been quite well documented just how much input he had into the creation of Batman, which is he came up with a guy who sort of dresses like a bat and maybe has some wings. And that seems to be about it. Yeah, all the re- all the stuff that we now associate with Batman um, is, for the most part, actually created by Bill Finger. Even visually, you know, the use of the scalloped cape, the um, the eye slits, the the white slits instead of actual proper eyes, and the general um, 
uh, sort of spookiness, darker red to the character, all come from Bill Finger. Yeah, not to mention the Joker, the Batmobile, Robin. Which are also, you know, Bill Finger slash Joey Robinson creations. Yeah. So the whole... And it really, anno- it really annoys me because it means that a creator who was heavily involved in um, the creation of what, what has become an iconic character actually doesn't get the... Um, the wider recognition that he deserves. Yeah, you know, like, like you said, well, that, that was the reaction. So. Yeah, Bill Finger should get a st- Bill Finger should get his own walk on the hall of star on the hall of fame. Yeah. Well, I don't even know why Bob Kane's getting it. To be perfectly honest, I disagree. I think Harrison Ford's broken leg is far more important. Do you? Far more important. Just because you think he's a bit of all right. I just don't know who Bob Kane is. <laughs> Actually, I thought you meant Bob Crane. Like, Bob, Bob, Kane is, Bob Kane is the man who's as been, in Colonel Hogan. Bob Kane's the man who's been credited with the creation of Batman. Yeah, um, but there's some sort of you know, there's controversy around that. Yeah, no, so I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, Luke, and uh, with the, what seems to be the general opinion of of the interwebs. It's uh, it's a disgrace. Um, I do need to point out though, it is. I mean, plain devil's advocate because that's what I have to do as the host. Um, you do need to be nominated in order to get a star. Uh, so Bob Kane's wife has nominated for him to get a star where no one's nominated Bill Finger to get one. So mm. basically all we need is for, to, you know, get, get a nomination in there, get the application in there and then, you know, get Bill Finger a star, hopefully mm. as far away from Bob Kane's as possible. Is it possible to get bigger ones? Like, no, make, they're all the same make size. His bigger. I'm yeah. afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, oh, fucking do. Uh, so that's it for, for the news. Let's move on to the reviews. First up, we have Richo and Batman and Robin, Volume 4. So the full title of this book is actually Batman and Robin, Volume 4, Requiem for Damien. Uh, it's written by Peter J. Tomasi, and uh, the artwork is by Patrick Gleason and Mick Gray. Batman and Robin is one of the books that was relaunched um, as part of the new 52, and it's kind of the book that fell under the radar a little bit as far as Batman titles go. Um, obviously, you had, uh, you know, the main Batman title with its Court of Owls story and, um, you know, Dark Knight with its, you know, all-star creative team. Yeah, so this book was a little bit under the radar, but what I found is that um, the quality of writing on this series as as a whole has actually probably been certainly the equal of Batman and I actually think better than what was on um, Dark Knight and Detective Comics especially the character story and the relationship between um, Batman and Robin has just been fantastic. Um, And I think Patrick Gleason's artwork has just been continually improving uh, from issue to issue um, on this series. So, yeah, it's it's been one that I've been reading uh, quite diligently. But um, what happened recently, and this is a massive spoiler for anybody that hasn't read uh, Batman Batman Incorporated Issue 8. Thank you. So in Batman Incorporated issue 8, Robin dies. I don't know why they've killed off the character, but he's actually been one of the more refreshing characters um, in recent times. But what has been, I I find, a little bit um, frustrating, and to be honest with you, frustrating generally across the board in comics, is the mourning process in comics really doesn't last long. Yeah, it's like an issue of, oh my God, that person's dead, or a couple of pages at the end of the issue where they've died going, oh, that's terrible that that person dies, and then we move on. What Batman and Robin Volume 4 does is the complete opposite of that. Basically, Batman's son has died and he is grief-stricken by this. He's, he's, he doesn't really know how to deal with, with this at all. Um, 
it affects him in a way that um, I haven't really seen in comics, in comic deaths for a very, very long time. The issue directly after the Batman Incorporated issue is actually a silent issue. Um, and that's the first issue of Volume 4 that's been reprinted. Now, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of silent issues because you sort of breeze through them and there's no words and you feel like you've wasted your money sometimes. Um, but in in this issue, it works brilliantly. It shows the psychological effects that Damien's death is having on Batman um, and how he just cannot cope with the grief of what's happened. Um and this is, to me, this is the real standout issue in this volume. Um, Patrick Gleason's artwork is phenomenal. I think he's really stepped it up a notch for this issue. And, and you actually really, you can feel the grief in, in every panel, on every page. Um, but the second thing this book does, it, it answers a question that I think a, a lot of us as comic readers have had in the past. They live in a fantastic world, the DC Universe, characters die and return from from the dead all the time. Death is a revolving door these days in in the comic book world. And this actually confronts that very point. Um, after, After that initial grieving issue, the first thing Batman does is he goes and confronts and then actually kidnaps Frankenstein. Because, you know, Frankenstein is an undead creature. And so he actually kidnaps Frankenstein to find out how Frankenstein came back to life. He then goes and, um... He then goes to uh, the former Robin, now the Red Hood, Jason Todd, who also died and came back to life. And he starts basically trying to basically find ways to bring Damien back to life using all of the the tropes of the comic book universe. He goes looking for a Lazarus pit because that's what's brought Rachel Ghoul back to life time and time again. And, you know, I've always thought, well, why, don't, why doesn't everybody do that when a character dies? Given how often people return from the dead, you know, Batman himself has returned from the dead. And, and to me, that's that's what sort of makes this book. It's maintaining that very strong character-driven approach that the series has had all along. And it's still dealing with the relationship between Batman and Robin, but now with Robin being dead. But also, it does it in a clever way. Given, given that the main Batman book went directly from uh, the death of the family story into the Year Zero story, which has seemed to drag on forever... Um, and so therefore hasn't confronted in any way. Really, really, this stuff should be in that main Batman book. But I'm glad Batman and Robin exists to actually present this uh, to readers. And I wish I, I hope that this sets a, a standard that other writers will use in the future to actually show the impact that characters' deaths have in comic books so that we don't have that cynical approach anymore to a death of a character. Um, I'm actually going to give this four and a half. Cool, awesome. Next up we got Luke, and Luke's actually, as a change of pace, Luke is actually going to review an album. Yes. Um, okay, my pick is Lana Del Rey's second album, Ultraviolence. It's her second studio album um, to date. Her first one was Born Today, which was released two years ago, and last year she released um, uh, an EP called Paradise, which then got lumped in with Born to Die. Her basic, basic, she, for a pop artist, her basic thing is to take a whole lot of... The, take the sound of, uh, you know, film noir and neo-noir and, um, you know, music to James Bond... You know, James Bond-sounding music and to give it big, brassy, almost orchestral sounds, but uh, then bring it home with despicable characters, um, doomed love, unrequ- unrequited love. Ultraviolence continues that, um, that, that trend. To give you an idea of... To give you a quick idea of her sound... Take Adele's um, theme song from Skyfall. 
then instead of the the sort of the brassy over brassy overtones to the kind of heroic nature that 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 song has, imagine it said in, it, instead that it's sung by one of the many women who Bond has actually abused and discarded, and now has a bit of a drinking problem, and has decided that in the end she's got to go and get her revenge on Bond herself. That's sort of where Lana Del Rey's coming from a little bit more. Um, the first the first album, Born to Die, was more about unrequited love, uh, uh, leading to self-destruction based on you know experiences that you have when you're young and decisions that you make when, you, when you're young. That's at least how I read Born to Die. This sort of continues that trend a little bit more. Things like um, uh, Brooklyn Baby, which is about two people, you know, Bro- Brooklyn Baby, two people in a band, um, you know, constantly smoking marijuana and un- unable to sort of escape the mediocre the 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 mice of their lives ha- alludes to that previous album with its uh, also with its Americana nostalgic feel, but then there are um, songs called "The Other Woman," um, and one of the lyrics in the in the third in the third track "Shades of Cool" alludes to you know the main character the character of the song being a mistress to the man that she's talking about. So she's talking more about mistresses here. But then there are two specific tracks. That lead to what I think this should this um, album should it be subtitled. The first one is "Money, Power, Glory," um, which is all about a woman who wants money, power, glory, literally. And then the second, the other one, which is the one directly afterwards, is "Bleeped My Way Up to the Top." Now I'm using that because that's what it says in the track on the on the, um, on the the record label. The actual song you can actually substitute for what it really is. But we are a family friendly um, family friendly podcast, so I'm not going to say. Uh, say that, but they are two songs that allude to what I think this should be subtitled, which is Ode to the Farm Fatale. So it's no longer about unrequited love, it's now about women actually wanting more than what is their, what their lot in life, but in possibly not the, mo- not the nicest way. On the whole, this is um, a worthy follow-up to, um, uh, to Born to Die. Um, I give this four looks. Nice. Nice and concise. Awesome. Thanks, Luke. Next up, we have Crystal and Holy Flying Circus. Holy Flying Circus, Batman! <laughs> Thankfully, that's not the actual title. <laughs> That'd be all if it was, though. <laughs> after, after, after Richo's review, it should be the title. <laughs> I, I left deciding what to review quite late and actually came across it accidentally. I was making a cup of tea in the kitchen and I could hear some familiar music coming from the TV. <laughs> Flying Circus is on. And I, I poked my head in the lounge and went, looked at and I saw the names on the screen and went, none of those people are in Monty Python. What's this? <laughs> and there's Stephen Fry. <laughs> what? And that's it, you're all Stephen Fry's Stephen there. Fry. Anyway. He's not in Monty Python. And then um, David came in at around the same time and both sat down and he's like, what's this? <laughs> it's like Monty Python. <laughs> it's, it's almost like you're... Decision to watch this is almost a Monty Python built up to a Monty Python's <laughs> kitchen and of itself. <laughs> Pretty much. So he sat down and started watching, and it turned out to be a, a biopic, a Monty Python biopic based on and around the 1979 debate that was on a TV show called Friday Night Saturday Morning. The debate centered around um, the life of Brian and the controversy surrounding it, and people were protesting because they thought it was blasphemous. Uh, and the, ba- the debate was. On the, on the Python side, you had John Cleese and Michael Palin, and then on the other side, you had actor Malcolm Mugridge. I mean, one of the things he said is he kept saying that the, the film would be forgotten and, and you know, wouldn't notice it in the future. Oops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. 
<laughs> to quote Luke, and 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 uh, and and a bishop of Southwark, 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 Southwark. Southwark. You don't pronounce the W. All right, it starts off, in, they're in the distributor's office and they're t- talking about um, distributing the film in America first and then we'd see what a raging success that was. And <laughs> that's what we meant, distributing in Britain. Um, but it, it's put together very well. It's put together very Monty Python-esque-ish. Can you say esque-ish? It's not a real word, but I'll The cast is excellent. Darren Boyd as John Cleese just blew me away. He is John Cleese incarnated. If you squinted, and, and you, you would not even realise it wasn't John Cleese. The voice <laughs> was perfect, the mannerisms were perfect. <laughs> and it's one of my favourite pieces was that he's, he's playing John Cleese as if he was Basil Fawlty. Yeah. <laughs> and they That's deliberately an important distinction. And then they yes. deliberately come out and say that there's there's a cut, like a very Monty Python esque cut where he's walking up to the screen and he's stroking a cat and he goes, This is a fictionalized version of me based on my character as faulty. <laughs> In real life I'm a lovely man. Yeah. A lovely man. <laughs> It's just after the scene where he goes to beat the guy up with a bush. Yeah, <laughs> faulty-ish. Cause, I mean, and at that point, I was just starting to think, is he's a bit, yeah. a bit too, a bit bas- a bit too Basil faulty. Ah, oh, it's meant to be. <laughs> and, and we've got uh, Charles Edward as Michael Palin. Uncanny resemblance to Michael Palin, and he does a very, very good job as... Uh, I was going to say as an impression. It's not an impression. He just sort of becomes Michael mm. Palin. You've got Steve Punt as Eric Idle, uncanny again. Um, he does look a little bit like an older version of Eric Idle from that, mm, mm. rather than from that area, but the voice is spot on. Rufus Jones as Terry Jones. Now, I don't think they're in any way related. I couldn't find any connection there, but also excellent. Um, and, in, and in Monty Python's style, they, off, they play multiple roles. So Rufus Jones also plays Michael Palin's wife. <laughs> which, is, which is awesome. Michael Palin goes home and to, to his and meets his wife, and, and it's it's Terry Jones with the with the wig on. she's like, I, I like Terry. He's my favourite. <laughs> and he actually looks more like Terry Jones as Michael Palin's wife than he does when he's playing Terry Jones. It's, it's really good. Um, yeah, Tom Fisher as Graham Chapman, who really didn't have a lot to do, sort of just in the background smoking a pipe, but. Looking cool. Looking cool as as Graham Chapman is, um, and Phil Nickel Phil Nickel as Terry Gilliam was probably the weakest one. I thought. Um, I actually thought the person who played uh, Andrew Thorogood, who's the main um, protester, uh, Mark Heap, he actually looked a bit more like Terry Gilliam to me than Phil Nickel did. But he still did a, a nice job, and, and the real little cut scenes of. Uh, the animations, you actually saw him starting to do the animations and then it cut to the animation. And then like, if I didn't sort of like it, like, he'd get a whack on the back of the head or something from, <laughs> from Cleese or somebody. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so so well put together. I just wanted to mention the attention to detail is amazing because I actually sat down, after I watched this, I rewatched it on iView and then I looked up on YouTube the actual original debate and, and the, the debate in the show is actually spot on, except that the actual debate goes for like 40 minutes. It's, it's spot on. The, the attention to detail is exact. The, the only difference is, is different people being the characters, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the mannerisms, the voices, the set, it's, it's just it's a, it's amazing. Um, and you see that attention to detail throughout the whole thing. Like when there's a there's a scene with the 
head of the BBC talk, Alan Dick. <laughs> who who basically that's wrong with you people <laughs> who basically you know it's a funny name although if it had been Richard Dick it would have been hilarious it's the Monty Python funny names thing uh, <laughs> just check it is it well the other guy's name was Harry Balls yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, okay. the, but there's a scene where he's um, well this guy actually just as a little side he, he's pretty much Douglas Renham from the IT crowd I don't know why they didn't get Matt Berry to play this I know, guy and we said that like multiple times yeah, while watching like, it's like it's, Matt it, Berry should sue that's, it's, that's <laughs> Douglas Renham anyway he's sitting at the desk and I thought I looked at the desk and I thought that, that image looks like familiar it looks like the set and there's this little cut up panorama of the actual a mock up of the actual set on his desk it's just brilliant um and, and uh, uh, there's also a, a scene where uh, I won't spoil what and say what the scene is about, but there's a cut scene where they you cut to the future, and there's somebody typing on a, a laptop, at, sending an email complaining to the BBC about the actual show that is watched. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and I won't I won't say what he's complaining about because I'll spoil it. But it's just <laughs> when it cuts, you get this uh, clear color picture um sort of realistic color and then it comes back to the actual show which you've got this slight orangey 1970s tinge and yep. there's, there's some scenes where you can see the film sort of flip up it's it's, it's quite good I've, i found it interesting in the original debate they actually played the clip they showed a couple of clips from the, the movie and the first clip they showed once they got it working because they couldn't get the clip working there was a bit of laughter there was the he's not the messiah he's a very naughty boy clip but the uh, bishop and, and Mr Mugridge kept insisting that they were lampooning Jesus where they made it quite clear even even if they hadn't seen the start of the movie they made it quite clear that before the debate really started that he's not the Messiah he's a very <laughs> naughty boy well that, that's the absurdity of this, date, of this debate to begin with if you actually watch the film they go to great lengths to point out exactly what you're saying yeah. he's in fact not Jesus he's not Jesus it's not Jesus it's, it's not Jesus that are lampooning it's guys like the Bishop of Southwark that's who they're lampooning <laughs> and they actually said that to his face which is great. <laughs> um, there's a there's a scene where the protesters are burning an effigy of Michael Palin and Michael Palin's wife says uh, close the window it's hardly it smells of burning you <laughs> 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 and then you've got another scene where Michael Palin's uh, looking out the window and he's shouting at the hordes going go away you're sinister and intimidating and they shout back we are not sinister and intimidating <laughs> and then you've got this one guy who's one of the main protesters he's got Tourette's you just hear him shout out in the background background I'm Spartacus! <laughs> um, uh, and I just found it interesting at the end, although I'm not too sure how, sure how true it is, they have a little, like a few little factoids at the end, and one of them was it wasn't um, able to be shown on British TV until 1995, um, The Life of Brian, that is. But I'm not sure how true that is, given that the other factoids was that Cleese, uh, John Cleese was... Um, after the movie, we moved to America and became the first black president. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Palin was convicted for uh, and sent to jail for the sarin attack in Tokyo. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, have left, I, I forgot to look that up to see if it actually is true about the 1995 thing. But um, overall, I, I enjoy, enjoyed this so much that I actually just, like I said, I went back and watched it again like the next day. Um, it's just, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have got a better cast for Monty Python if you had gone back in time and pulled the Monty Python cast into the... <laughs> um, from what I can tell, uh, the Pythons actually didn't have anything to do with this at all, um, production-wise. 
um, but I did hear a few whispers that they were happy with it. Excellent, excellent production. Highly recommend it, and I give it five looks. Wow, five looks! Yeah, really impressive. Uh, absolutely, five looks. Uh, maybe maybe amp it up to six if it was uh, <laughs> if it was a spinal see, Wow! See, see mo- most looks are only going to five. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it up to six. I have to point out too when you watch it, the credit, the opening credits for um, Friday Night Saturday Morning. That are those are the actual opening credits. Which is a disgrace. It's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Awesome. Uh, last but not least is uh, myself. Now I've actually got uh, two. I'm going to do two mini reviews because I couldn't decide on which one to do. Uh, and he's the host and he's king that's right I'm the host so <laughs> gonna do it. he's made an executive uh, decision both of mine are movies just uh, f- uh, the first one is Pitch Perfect which is very much not the sort of film that you would expect uh, me to either watch or review um, I basically just wanted to review just to say that I didn't I didn't I didn't go into it thinking that I was going to like it but I actually did quite like it a lot uh, Pitch Perfect is uh, about a group of female acapella acapella Singers, and it's very much. It's basically a, a movie-length version uh, of the of a, the TV show Glee, uh, but not crap. Um, it actually was quite a lot of fun. It's it's vapid, uh, very much light entertainment, uh, but I enjoyed it, so I do recommend it. I'll give it uh, three out of five. Fastest review in the week. Uh, the other review I want I want to sort of get a bit more a bit more sort of meat behind it is that is uh, a twenty ten movie called Rubber. Um, now I did I did hear about that about this film like back in the back in the day and I never really got a, a chance to to check it out and I, and I did I did want to check it out because essentially the plot of Rubber is a tire comes to life and starts killing people now that's it really that's the entire <laughs> nutshell of the film. Um, well they didn't advertise and I think it's actually to their detriment uh, because the film was a massive flop I mean, it's, it it cost uh, five hundred thousand to make and only made one hundred thousand worldwide. <laughs> Gross! It was just it was a massive bomb, and I'm glad it was because I didn't like it. But <laughs> it's the, I think what why the reason it didn't really work all that was was because they didn't they didn't really in the advertising for it. And I, I sort of YouTube you know so their previews and stuff like that. They didn't really explain exactly what they were trying to do, and it's actually a play on movies. It's basically it's, it's basically it, it explains the culture of movies and. And uh, the sort of movies that we get these days, compared to sort of like uh, you know a couple of decades ago, uh, it's very it's very much a, a sort of a David Lynch sort of uh, sort of view of uh, the movie industry. And uh, the fact that the tire is alive is actually not really relevant. Uh, the it's more of a case of what we as an audience are willing to believe and be fed by the suits that are in charge and. Uh, basically dictate our, our the movies that are produced today. So the Michael Bayish sort of empty entertainment popcorn type stuff that we get these days. Um, there's really, there's no substance to anything. And that's the, the, the tire's name is Robert. <laughs> so the <laughs> fact that, so the, the, the fact that Robert, when the, the fact that he comes to life is never explained and it doesn't need to be explained. Um, because no, is these, even if it was explained, it wouldn't make any sense anyway. It's just, it basically is, is he alive because they wanted him to be alive for the plot to continue on? It does have quite, like I said, it's quite David Lynchius. So it does, it does, Lynchius, that's a new word. Um, <laughs> it does, so it does have a, quite a lot of that sort of stuff that you would just sort of expect from a David Lynch film. My only real problem with it is that it tries too hard. Like, I mean, David Lynch is a master for a reason <laughs> because, you know, because he, he is the best at what he does. And this, this film 
really does look like a student film that was told, okay, I want you to make a David Lynch film. And so this is what they went out and did. There's a lot of good ideas in the film. I just think it just takes them just just way too far. Just, it just it's the film only goes for an hour and twenty two minutes. I think it's an hour too long. It's I mean you could have put all this together in a half hour Twilight Zone sort of episode mm. and it would have been perfect. But because it goes for so long, it just it's, it's, it's got quite a lot of scenes that just drag on and are totally unnecessary. Um, and I think it overplays its statement, and so that's why it fails. Um, actually, by the end of it, I was actually getting horrendously bored. Uh, so by the time it got to the end, where it basically then sort of, you know, it's, 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 it's this big reveal, um, I just didn't care. Uh, so I give this uh, one look out of five. It failed miserably. It says some, something that I had more fun watching the Glee type movie. <laughs> That'll give you an idea. Does that say something about the movie or about something about you? <laughs> cool. So let's move on to the second half of our show, which is our top five. British comedy series. Come with us now on a journey through time and space. To the world of the mad Okay, first up we've got Christmas. Oh, I'm first. Mm-hmm. I am number one. Given that this is my topic, I do have uh, a lot of runners-up, which um, if we're going to follow suit, we'll give them to David to put in their show notes. But I'll just stick with my top five because David kept saying to me why didn't you put this in why didn't you put that in I, just, I can only have five <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Right. You, okay. you're the one that t- said we were doing five and not ten or twenty <laughs> so are we going from five to one or one yeah. to five whatever you want to do five to one yeah five to one well to give you an idea of the quality of the stuff in my top five my number five is the IT crowd and and you listeners will remember that we heard uh, that we reviewed the IT crowd and how much I love it um, and because we've already talked about it, I won't go into it in great detail here. But uh, I guess most listeners, will, if, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have seen the show um, based on IT people <laughs> <laughs> set in random industries. Uh, we should do some market research. How many people are actually of our listeners are actually IT, IT people? people? Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> um, number four on my list is. My, one of my all-time favourite classics, Black Books, starring Dylan Moran and Bill Bailey and... Tamsin Grieg. Tamsin Grieg. Sorry, Tamsin. <laughs> <laughs> set, in a, set in a bookshop, funnily enough, run by Bernard Black, played by Dylan Moran. Very, very funny show. Um, but it's a, funnily enough, the most of the most of the funny bits that I remember are from that first episode. <laughs> 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 Many swallowing the little book of calm. Book of calm. <laughs> Many reading the little book of calm. Imagine a beach, and then he goes, he thrashes around. It's like, oh, oh no, whoa, oh, oh, a calm beach. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really funny show, full of a lot of funny lines and uh, lots of interesting cameos. There's a, um, David Williams pops up at one point before this is before Little Britain, so I have to often watch, go back and watch it, and then I'll go, "Oh, it's that guy!" I didn't yeah. realise it was that guy. Just it's like Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg is in there. Yeah. Manny, I want your hair. <laughs> The Simon Dick Pegg episode, I must admit, is a personal favourite of mine. Biden, he wants my hair! <laughs> um, and Rob Brydon's in there, who, uh, yes. when I first watched it, didn't realise it was Rob Brydon. And I was watching Rob Brydon on QI one day and I went, hang on, isn't that Nugent? <laughs> Nugent. 
anyway, great show. Um, number three on the list, because we're getting better and better as we go up the list, Blackadder, seasons two, three, and four. Yes. <laughs> I it's do, important to point that out. I do love season one because uh, the awesome Brian Blessed's in there and yep. Peter Cook's in episode one. But um, season one probably wouldn't make it into my top five list. But the two, three, and four, brilliant. Um, and we've, we've, we've done a whole show on Blackadder, haven't we? So we won't go into detail detail there um the mighty boosh at number two love the mighty boosh <laughs> coming at you i'm all great <laughs> like a jazz ninja <laughs> mighty boosh season one starts off you find um vincent howard uh are zookeepers in bob fossil's strange zoo seem to be <laughs> inhabited by humans that are actually dressed up as animals um bob fossil interesting character and he can't remember the actual animals names the, i think the elephant is referred to Grey leg face man. <laughs> <laughs> See, and then in each season, they're in a sort of a different situation. Uh, season two, from memory, just sort of hanging they're just, out. In they're just apartment. living together. Just living together yeah. in, a, in, in Naboo's apartment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> season three, they're, they're running a, a weird little gift shop, which ain't a cool little shop. If it was a real shop, I'd be going. There's some cool stuff on sale in that shop. Great show, full of. Not only funny music, but really good music. And, and along with the Flight of the Concords, that's the um, soundtrack that I keep permanently on my iPod or iPhone, for lack of a better word. Um, just, just really fun music. You're doing your, the William Shatner school of reviewing. <laughs> the William I Shatner writing. British review. Some reviews. <laughs> my number one all-time favourite <laughs> British comedy is Red Dwarf. Because it's cold outside and there's no kind of atmosphere. <laughs> I don't think we've done. We don't think we've spoken about Red Dwarf on the show before. So for anybody who doesn't know, what's happened is um, Dave Lister. He's on the Jupiter mining ship Red Dwarf, and has been sent into stasis. Now bear with me because it's been a while since I said this. I forget exactly why, but he did something. Because he has a cat on board. Yeah, a cat on board, that's right. While he's in stasis, something goes wrong with the ship. It's probably Rimmer's fault. In fact, I'm almost certain it is Rimmer's fault. He forgot to screw down down the drive drive plate plate. for the nuclear drive and that's what... um, Because Lister's not there with him. Um, He can't do it properly because he's a complete smeghead. So, (laughs) three million years later, Lister wakes up the cat, in the meantime, has evolved into a whole cat civilization and, and died off, and there's one cat left. We've got Rimmer revived as a hologram, and for the first couple of episodes, it's just the three of them, plus Holly, the computer, who has gone insane in the meantime. <laughs> Holly trying to convince Lister that the whole crew is dead is my all-time favorite thing. So when I'm trying to convince somebody of something and they don't quite get me and I'm repeating myself over and over, I call that a Holly moment. <laughs> the crew are all dead, Dave. They're dead. They're dead, dead, Dave. They're, everybody's dead. Everybody's dead, dead, Dave. Even, even, even Peterson? <laughs> Peter, Gordon Bennett. Peterson's dead. Jen's dead. Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead, dead Dave. Dave. <laughs> it is brilliant. So it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant show. Uh, I think, uh, um, and my all-time favourite episode is... Um, I keep going to call it backwards, but it's not the backwards episode. It's the... That's Future Echoes. Ooh. Anyway, this is my top five. Runner up, runner ups, runners up in the show notes. In the show notes, because we're right out of time. <laughs> cool. All right, well, next up we'll have uh, Richard. My number five uh, comedy was Faulty Towers. Something rather strange happened to me a little while ago. Um, I actually sat down to watch Faulty Towers again. 
sounded like you were going going to do some stand up there. <laughs> Something strange. Something happened, funny happened to me on the way to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably about two years ago, having not seen Faulty Towers for years and years, I actually sat down to watch it again and realised that there were only thirteen episodes mm-hmm. in total. Yep. Now. Had you asked me before that, I would have told you that the show ran for years and there was, you know, 50, 60 episodes to watch. Um, but there's only 13 episodes and packed into these 13 episodes are just comedy gold. The show stars uh, John Cleese as the manager of a hotel, uh, Faulty Towers, although the sign at the start of every episode has a completely different name and changes each episode. They don't actually get that right. But... Um, what I love about this series is that it is just, like I said, just comedy compacted in each episode is laugh out loud funny and remains laugh out loud funny to this day, even though it's been decades since the show was actually first aired. Um, it's John Cleese based this on um, basically experiences that he had with the manager of a hotel that he and the Python people were staying at um, when they were writing... Flying Circus. Flying Circus. Yeah. And um, the rest of the Python crew actually left. Like, they just got so fed up with this guy that they left. But um, uh, Jean-Claude and his wife actually stayed there and started writing about their experiences and then eventually turned that into the show. Um, yeah, it is, like I said, without a doubt, one of the funniest shows um, Britain has ever produced. And also comedy on multiple levels. Um, this is a very witty comedy, but there is also some absolutely brilliant slapstick. Mm. And John Cleese's incredibly erratic performance is, um, uh, yeah, just incredible. I learned how to make Waldorf salad for that show. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's apples. Orange. <laughs> So that was my number five show. Um, my number four show, um, as actually Crystal's number four show as well, uh, is Black Books. Yay! Um, you know, Crystal summed it up quite nicely. But for me, Black Books is what if our colleague Luke ran a bookstore? Um, basically, Luke, Luke just is Bernard Black, and it's quite frightening um, just how accurate that is. There's um, only one difference. I don't drink like a fish. That's true. Um, but but Richo's hair does look magnificent. <laughs> For me, the standout episode of Black Books, I won't review it because Chris already has, but the standout episode for me is actually when Bernard and Manny get drunk and decide to write a children's book. <laughs> I forgot. No, that was hilarious. Um, whilst uh, Fran is at a absolutely disastrous hen's night. <laughs> I won't say too much about it, but the book that is written and then what they do with the book afterwards, to me, just comic perfection that entire episode my number three is blackadder i'm actually going to narrow it down even further to blackadder seasons two and three i like one i like four but seasons two and three just brilliant absolutely brilliant um and it actually came to mind um specifically because when when david first mentioned this and uh, mentioned that it was actually in honor of rick mail rick mail has an appearance in season two that and four yeah, but Lord it's it's Flashheart. it's a period. It's his appearance in it's season. The, the two one is the best. Yeah, the, the one in and, season two. Just um, it, the minute that you mentioned Rick Mail, whilst obviously the young ones is you know often considered his best work, the minute that uh, David mentioned Rick Mail, that was exactly the scene mm. that came to mind. Uh, my number two comedy is one that I, we actually haven't mentioned much on the show, um, which is actually a bit of a surprise to me. But um, it's Yes Minister. 
and yes, Prime Minister, which stars uh, Paul Lintington, um as a British minister who obviously then rises to the, the rank of Prime Minister, um, and um, Nigel Hawthorne as Sir Humphrey, who is basically his... His civil servant um, advisor. advisor. What amazes me about Yes Minister is that the only thing about this show that is dated is the fashion sense. It is just a spot-on representation of what working in the public service is like. And I say that as somebody who actually works... is paid by the government. Like, I work for a school here. But working in a bureaucracy is a harrowing experience, and this show captures that brilliantly. And um, the character of Sir Humphrey, as played by uh, Nigel Hawthorne, to me, is the single greatest character ever produced for British comedy. It's not the the sort of tell lots of jokes kind of comedy. It's actually a build up in each episode to a final point and a final sort of you know, confrontation or discussion between Sir Humphrey and the minister. But the build up is brilliant and the payoff is almost invariably fantastic and hilarious. And it was almost my number one. Like, I, I went back and forth a bit on my one and two. But at the end of the day, my number one had to go to Monty Python's Flying Circus. Really, this 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 is a show that changed the face of British comedy completely. And it created a, a level of intellectualism in, in comedy that um, was almost unheard of before that point. But also... Um, once again, remains hilarious to this day. Like, I, I've, I've seen Flying Circus dozens of times in the past and I still find myself laughing out loud at oh, the Monty Python crew. It's very hit and miss, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> that's the thing with sketch shows. It's very hit and miss, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> say no more, say no more. And, um, at, uh, and I, I have to say the, the dead parrot sketch, still hilarious. It's dead! <laughs> this parrot is deceased! <laughs> I'm well, Mama Jack and I'm okay. <laughs> Next up is me. Okay, so my my list is going to be a bit of a surprise. Some people, it's, it's uh, because even I'm surprised that I typed it. But once I typed it, I thought, bugger, I'm going to commit. Was it like a, like a stream of consciousness, um, just writing under hypnosis type thing, and then you looked at it afterwards? Like, yeah, and I was like, oh, hell, I've said, I've said that. Just by pure <laughs> chance, that's a British comedy show. I'm going to leave it on there. <laughs> it, was uh, all, it was all that opium you were on when you were writing the list that has uh, resulted in this. My number five is actually, Are You Being Served?, um, yeah, I say I say that because <laughs> I'm free. It's just it's basically the only reason is because it's just pure nostalgia. It is just it was a staple of of my sort of after school watching. It is I mean it's it's really not that good. I I watched an, I watched an episode of it on uh, YouTube after I did this thing to sort of see I was like to see whether I was insane or not. And yeah, the episode wasn't very funny, but <laughs> but it just it just in terms of nostalgia, it just it just there was I just remember laughing like a loon every time I watched it when I was younger, and so therefore it has a, a fond place in my heart. Uh, at number four, <laughs> at number four is Red Dwarf. Now the reason it's at Red Dwarf, uh, no, the reason Red Dwarf is at number four is because I think the last couple of seasons of Red Dwarf are some of the unfunniest so-called comedy shows that I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's a, it's a blight on the good name of the first, you know, four-odd seasons. Maybe, yeah, maybe four. Uh, but at least the first three. The first three are brilliant, and for every, for all the reasons that Crystal said, they are, they just... I've watched them so many times that we, you know, we can all we can all just sort of do the whole 
scripts by by rote. Um, but it's just, and it's just unfortunate that they didn't end where they should have, mm. and it just basically just dragged on. Especially the last season, which is an absolute disgrace. And they're making another one, aren't they? Yeah, it just continued on, and they did they did season back to Earth. they did season ten, they did back to Earth. It's just a blight on the good name. Yeah. Actually, series season five, ten wasn't that bad. Series five cut off, and that's you know pretty much you can accept series six. After that, awful. But yeah. back to reality, they should have stopped there. Season we, 10 kind of went back to the earlier years, and it wasn't actually all that... Uh, no, it was I, terrible. I quite, kind of enjoyed yeah. it, but it, it, it didn't really need to be made. Is back to reality the Dwayne, Dwayne Dibley? Yeah. I mean, I'm not the big fan of Red Dwarf that you guys are, yeah. but my God, is Dwayne Dibley gone? <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne, awesome. Dwayne Dibley! Dwayne <laughs> uh, Moving on, uh, three is Monty Python's Flying Circus. We did an entire episode on, on Monty Python, so I, I don't have to say anything more than just... it's. Brent, see it. Uh, number two is the IT crowd for many reasons. One, because it's damn funny. Uh, two, because I work in IT and it's shocking just how realistic it is. It's kind of like the office for me. I used to work in a sort of an office environment yeah. as the office. Once again, it's unbelievable. They could have just scripted by life and that would have been it. Uh, but yeah, so the IT crowd, see it. And uh, num- number one, once again, we had no episode. How episode on it is Blackadder, which I just think is just the pinnacle of, of British comedy. Is uh, not really season one, but season two at least. Absolute genius. <laughs> Luke? My number five, however, is um, not, in, not Only But Also by Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Oh, um, yes. That's great. And part of the reason why I included it is to get to things like, to get to things like Python, you need someone like Peter Cook. Mm. Um, he, because before him, you had, um, the, you had Spike with the goons, and he brought you know the sense of absurd and the cartoon nature back into British comedy. And Peter Cook, in my opinion, with Dudley Moore and earlier on with Alan Bennett, brought um, the intellectual aspect of comedy um, yeah. into it. So, you know, um, to give an example of what I mean, the two famous characters from Lonely but also are the two characters, Pete and Dud, which is Peter Cook and Dudley Moore playing two northern London people doffed up in their cloth caps and their scarves and their overcoats, um, having a bit of a beer and a sani. But they'll be talking about, you know, Flemish painters and wandering around art museums and things yeah. like that. But they'll be speaking in a very kind of, uh, not quite Cockney, but almost, you know, Northern accent, Northern accent to sound like they're a bit more down to earth than what they are. But they'll be talking about the Flemish painters. And those things are funny partly because, you know, they're well written, but also because Dudley Moore is so enamoured. He's trying to hide, he's trying to hide his laughter quite often yeah. by drinking more beer than he probably should. Yeah. Um, because. <laughs> He's almost going into fits of hysteria. It actually himself. makes it funnier watching him trying mm. not to laugh. Yes. Um, um, and <laughs> I, to to get yeah. to um, some of the other ones that we've talked about, you need Peter Cook um, to get there because he actually does bring it back. It, it has a slight flaw, which is that quite a, it does go into the sort of the punchline sometimes the, mm. the their skits, and that does bring it down. At the Terry Gilliam actually said, "Yeah, the." Some, they do some brilliant stuff and they just fall flat because they went, oh, hey, surprise, that sort of thing. That's Monty Python are known for not having a punchline. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, my number four, that's my number five, my number four is Fourth Hours. Um, and really for a lot of the stuff that um, Richo has said. But the other thing that I really like about it is that in spite of the fact that Basil is a completely unlikable person, you can't help but feel empathy for his frustration. <laughs> um, a classic scene is, is um, Gourmet Night where he's desperately trying to get the roast duck back to the gourmet night and the car which he it has been established that the car that he's been working on the car himself because he's a bit of a cheapskate breaks down on him just as he's trying to get it back he completely loses it kicks the car looks around rushes off camera runs back on with a branch and starts just beating it 
there's no other reason for it. he's just frustrated and you can't help but feel empathy for him <laughs> in that situation even though he's kind of brought it on himself so that's my that's my number four number three is Blackadder um, again for re- and again really Blackadder's two and three although I'm a big fan of Blackadder the third um, Blackadder one brilliant and you know we got again we got Peter Cook showing up on the list um, and really entertained by Blackadder four and has Blackadder four probably has the best ending of yeah. the four Blackadder shows yeah. Yeah. Blackadder series but it doesn't quite hit the heights that two or three do um, in terms of its comedy in terms of um, its storylines um, and enormous trousers. And yes, no, what's a pair of trousers? Thank you very much. Um, and my number two, my number two is Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. Um, I was sort of different toing and froing between Blackadder and Yes Prime Minister. Blackadder is probably funnier on a strictly joke by joke quotient. You know, there are more funny, you know, out and out funny lines, um, and the jokes fly a bit faster. But Yes, Yes Minister, from the first episode of Yes Minister to the last episode of Yes Prime Minister there is a consistent level of high quality throughout, then my number one choice is Monty Python. Because that's really the tail end of what I was talking about with um, Not Only But Also. Um, and, you know, they take the lessons that they've learned from their own experiences, but also from Spike and especially Peter Cook, and they pretty much nail it in Monty Python. Intellectual comedy, absurdist, surreal comedy... But very pointed comedy as well. But but uh, it's also on so many levels. It's not just it's intellectual comedy. You don't have to be an intellectual type person to watch it and find it funny either. Mm. I, I really liked how you mentioned Spike because because it was TV shows. Mm. I didn't have the Goon Show in there, which I actually think is one of my if, favorite. If, if it was British all time great shows, yeah. Like, yeah. the Goons would be probably if not number one, number two. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't actually seen his sitcom, which was Q. I have ne- yeah, I haven't seen able, it either. Never been able to find yeah. a copy. No. Of it. No, yeah. but yeah, Spike Milligan, the man. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, that's that's our top five. Thanks very much, everybody. Let's move on to coming soon. Okay, coming soon in Australian cinemas, June twenty sixth. We get the volcano, what? which is about uh, it's, it's a comedy based on you know when that Iceland volcano erupted and oh uh, Reykjavik. Yeah, that one, <laughs> the one that, one that no one can pronounce. <laughs> okay, I thought they were going could, to you know do a remake of the Tommy Lee yeah. Jones classic. <laughs> no, no, no. I can, I can pronounce it, but like, don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Don't Tom Hanks for this one. Uh, it's a, I think it's a French comedy. I don't know, I'm not too sure. Uh, Tinkerbell and the Pirate Fairy. So, oh, you know, for dear, the kids, for the kids out there, ah, you know that is what it is. Uh, and reserve your dear god for this: Transformers: Age of Extinction. Oh dear god! <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather see Tinkerbell the Pirate Fairy. That's how bad the Transformers movies yep. are. I, I do admit that in the trailer when I saw Optimus Prime riding Grimlock. I'm about to say, don't, say, don't <laughs> you dare say it's going to be awesome and I'm going to see it because it's got Dinobots. Because that's not, what everyone has said. I'm not They're saying gonna... it's awesome. I'm not going to go see it. But Optimus Prime riding Grimlock. So That's pretty sweet. Everyone's been, all the families are going, I really shouldn't see it because I know it's going to be bad, but it's got Dinobots. <laughs> I predict, even though David says he's not going to see it, he will eventually see it. He, he will. Not, no, he won't go to the There's cinema no release, but yeah, he I'll, will see it. I'll see it on Blu-ray. <laughs> 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 Alright, uh, so that's it for episode 97. Thank you very much, everybody. So that's it from me and the crew, Richard. Well, that was a fantastic performance by Ironhead today. I was very impressed. Luke. Yeah, except uh, he went out for a bit of a duck. His stroll out of the field, it, you know, was uh, something to behold. But the fact that he swung and nothing struck home, I think it's a bit of a letdown for the entire team. Crystal. Number three, the larch. Nice. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.